Welcome to episode number 216, Sexual Abuse, Healing, and Hope. I am your host, Damon Soka. Now, given the title of this episode, I don't believe that I need to provide a warning as to the subject material. It is likely you have already taken that into consideration before listening to this podcast. Given the statistics, it is likely to apply to many individuals, whether that is yourself or someone you know. If you find this podcast helpful, insightful, or valuable, would you pass it along to someone who might need help? Sexual abuse in all its terrible forms wreaks havoc upon far too many individuals in this life, both men and women. The statistics say that more than 50% of women and 20% of men will experience some form of sexual abuse or assault during their lifetime. Now, that is the reported statistics. Most individuals who track these type of numbers say that the percentage is likely an undercount, given that most sexual abuse is done under the cover of familial, social, or cultural guise, I would agree with the assessment of the statisticians. Far more abuse has occurred than we will ever know in the numbers. A great majority of the victims are actually forced to hide the truth to save face. So victims often suffer more than just the injustice of the event. They must suffer the indignity and injustice of silence. Now, to suffer because of the evil act of another is one thing. To suffer in silence, to protect the abuser, to save another's face, is a far greater level of suffering and pain. So very often, these types of abuse lead to mental health conditions. Whether those conditions are more temporary or more permanent is really more of a factor of genetics and the support of the victim by other individuals rather than the fortitude of the victim. Mental health conditions such as PTSD, anxiety disorders, depression, and addiction are regular companions of those who have suffered abuse and assault. Outside of genetics, this type of abuse accounts for much of the mental health issues we actually see today in our society. The suffering of the innocent in the case of sexual abuse and assault is beyond description and is only truly known to those who pass through it. Nothing causes my spirit and my heart more pain than to know that someone suffers this type of deep trauma in silence. I have a deep compassion for those who have suffered. And yet, because I am mortal, I can only offer you the knowledge that I have some understanding and that I empathize with you. My only desire is that you find the peace and healing that you deserve through the mercy and merits of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Healing from such trauma can be difficult, troubling, and sometimes takes a great deal of time. Many individuals may be suffering in silence and not even know that they do. Sometimes we bury this type of trauma so deep that it doesn't arise till later in our life, and we really don't understand why we are suffering. Sexual abuse and assault is very much an individual concern when it comes to trauma and the response of the brain and the soul. The real definition of this is broad and all-encompassing. Any type of touching, leering voice expressions that cross the line of comfortable conversation can be included in a discussion of sexual abuse. Abuse can be a one-time event or multiple events, or even an aggregation of small events. One should not simply dismiss the abuse because of the world's supposed, supposed definitions. Also included in this, marriage is no excuse for 
abuse, sexual or otherwise. Yes, abuse and assault can occur under the guise of a marriage. That relationship contract should not be a license to allow actions against our agency. Both partners in the marriage should be comfortable with the type of action and contact that is taking place. Now, abuse is not determined by the abuser or by some type of relationship contract. It is determined by the abused. And that is incredibly important. The abuse must be determined by the person who is abused. What may be considered of no concern to me might be of great concern to you. How do you know if you have been abused or assaulted in such manner? If an experience causes you emotional pain, either deep in your past or even more present, then you have probably experienced abuse. Even if what you experience does not reach the definition of the law of the land or society's unwritten rules, that does not determine the abuse. Any abuse or assault is truly determined by you. And the first step in any healing process is to recognize the hurt caused and the damage that was done. It doesn't mean the abuser will admit to or even acknowledge the abuse. Abusers rarely admit fault and even more rarely ask forgiveness. What is important to understand from the spiritual side is that the Savior full well knows that you have been hurt, and he will make that known to the abuser, if not before the judgment day, then at that day. You can be certain that the Savior does not take abuse lightly in any sense of that word light. He equates certain sexual sin similar to murder or the shedding of innocent blood. Sexual abuse or assault, which is a form of sexual sin, sits on the very near edge of sexual sin right beside murder. Abusers will, def will definitely answer for their offenses and the pain and the suffering of the innocent victim. Now, I believe that the prophets and apostles have made that very clear over the years. And I'm not speaking today to talk about the sinner or the perpetrator. We are here to talk about the innocent victim. I'm going to repeat a little bit of this definition of the abuse again. If you have been hurt by someone in a sexual manner, even if you may not have understood sexuality at the time and can still feel those emotional and mental pains, then you are very likely the victim of abuse. Abuse does not have to be significant to cause mental and emotional health issues. Because of genetics, culture, parentage, and social grouping, we all possess a limit breaker switch for abuse in our minds and emotions. We don't always get to define when that breaker switch trips, and that's part of mortality. You should never compare your abuse to another's abuse, and in doing so, minimize your own suffering. We as mortals are not built the same. Our switches are different, and each switch has its own limits. Trauma is simply flipping one of those switches in the emotional brain. Now, we have all experienced survival mode, and I think everyone listening understands the fight or flight switch in the brain. What causes that switch to turn on and, more importantly, turn off, is not exactly well understood in science, and I think most of us would admit we don't fully understand it on our own. These limit switches are built to provide for a difficult moment in time, and then they are meant to turn off once the danger is removed. But many times, one or more of these switches stays on when the abuse or assault leads to deep trauma, or even any type of trauma. Sometimes we notice right away, and other times it takes several years for, it to occur, for us to notice. 
What happens when those switches are left on is not always clear or understood. But we do know that it regularly leads to anxiety disorders such as PTSD and OCD and other disorders such as depression, bipolar, and even addiction disorders. Unfortunately, abuse and assault often lead to more than one of these disorders. When mental and emotional illnesses occur after abuse or assault, and they do so very frequently, the illness can be temporary and actually resolve itself over time. It can cause an immediate breakdown in mental illness, or it can hide itself for many years and then reappear later in life as an emotional illness. We never fully know which it will be. The point to all of this is to avoid rationalizing your abuse away, thinking that it wasn't enough an event to be abuse, or that it was too far away, too far in the past, or that you never had a problem with it till today. The emotional scars of abuse really need cleansing and healing. If we cover the abuse without the cleansing effect of the atonement of Jesus Christ, it is likely to fester and reappear in a much uglier state, affecting more than just the wound itself, but the whole body. And that may take much more time to heal. Before I talk about that healing process, there is something so very important to understand about our mind and our soul. Our mind very much likes to believe that it, it is in control. That's part of our agency. So much so that our brain does not like to admit that anything might be out of its control, especially anything that might be devastatingly harmful. And so our brain will tend to use a, let's call it a terrible trick, to help it feel in control. The brain will take some of the blame when its agency has been violated. Now, if the brain takes some blame, then it takes responsibility. And if it has responsibility, then in some ways the brain feels that it has some control. In other words, the brain is choosing to make peace with an abusive event that was not under its control by taking upon itself guilt or partial responsibility for what happened. I implore you not to fall under the control of this trick of your brain and, and accept a portion of responsibility for what happened. Abuse is always the choice of the abuser and never the responsibility of the abused. I have heard wives take responsibility for abuse by their husbands, thinking somehow they had provoked it. I've heard young women and young men think that somehow the way they acted or the way they dressed or what they said caused someone to abuse or assault them. The answer to any abuse or assault is simple. The fault is always and completely lies with the abuser. That is actually the first note to healing from abuse. Do not take abuse sins upon yourself that are not yours to take. It is acceptable and perhaps even recommended that you leave the abuse in the hands of the abuser. Nothing you did or said caused the abuse to occur. It is okay to see someone as a person who abused you. It is okay to recognize the abuse. If you had a cut on your leg and it was bleeding, you could not simply ignore the cut and pretend it didn't happen. So it is okay to see the hurt and to feel the hurt. Those are normal responses. So is anger, depression, anxiety, fear, and a deep sense of injustice. There is one key to emotion and pain of this nature. While you may experience it, don't feed it. Feeding pain always leads to over-pursuing justice, and that leads to vengeful thinking and deeds. Revenge upon an abuser can make you an abuser. We, sh we should most certainly use lawful and acceptable means of civil punishment, 
but we should not be consumed by it. Don't become a person you don't want to become because of the abuse by another. We have all heard that clarion call to forgive and leave judgment to the Lord. And while that is true, have you ever really thought of why? Why would the Lord particularly ask this of us, especially in such a heinous case of sexual or physical abuse? This is a God of fairness, justice, and judgment. So why would he ask you to reserve judgment and just simply turn the other cheek? Why would he ask you to completely forgive someone without redress? The secret is actually in the act of forgiveness. The Lord knows that justice is needful and required, but justice doesn't heal wounds. If you were to see your abuser tortured, it would not heal the wound they have caused. Mortal wounds are healed, when we're talking about regular mortal wounds, are healed by killing the invading bacteria. Now, you can't always stop the bacteria from getting in the cut, but you can kill what has entered your body. In this case, the hate, the anger, and the malice is that bacteria that will ravage your soul if you do not cleanse the wound. I know that it sounds strange to cleanse a wound that you did not cause yourself, but that is actually what we must do. Once the abuser has violated your agency, trust, and emotional connection, that pain must be cleansed, repaired, and healed. The hate, the malice, and anger must be turned away, and one's heart and soul filled again with trust and love. Now, this doesn't mean that you are going to entirely forgive the abuser and run back only to be abused again. Forgiveness is not necessarily forgetfulness in the sense of protection from the abuse. The Lord would not have you forget and return to the abuse. He wants you to forget the emotions of hate, malice, anger, and resentment. But you are probably not likely to forget the abuse. Now, on a little bit of a different subject, but matches up. When I was 15 years old, I cut my knee open with a chainsaw. It, was, it wasn't as gruesome as it sounds. I just needed a few stitches. Now, my father took me to get it sewn up, and initially the nurse... nurse tried to clean it without any numbing agent. Now that was far too painful for me to handle. So she reached for a needle and some painkiller to numb the nerves. Now that needle initially hurt more than the cut itself, but it allowed the nurse to clean the wound without significant pain and provided for some lasting relief. That is an important metaphor to understand. Even when we have been wounded, we may be in a state of shock until those nerves realize what has happened. Once they do, the pain is likely to be searing and distressing. Pain is part of the process of healing, and skipping it simply keeps us in shock until we recognize the pain. Eventually, the pain will rise to the surface. We cannot avoid pain. It has purpose and design, but pain was also not meant to last forever. If we feed that pain, it most certainly will last far longer than is needful. But if we cleanse it, maybe numb it a little, the pain will subside and the healing will begin to occur. Many individuals somehow believe that they should be able to handle mental illness caused by sexual abuse or assault without medication, counseling, or any psychiatric treatment. That is like trying to cleanse the wound without the Novocaine. You can do it, but it may be far more painful and much harder than it needs to be. The Lord has provided wonderful knowledge to competent individuals. Now, they may not know everything there is to know about mental illness, 
but they know enough for the Lord to give them some understanding that leads to medication and counseling that can help. Sometimes we have to endure the needle to allow for the proper cleansing to occur. What is also important is to choose the right doctor when it comes to healing. I'm not going to call a vet to sew up my leg when I cut it open. In addition, when we are discussing emotional healing, we also need a doctor who understands emotional healing and us. And more important, we understand them. And we are comfortable with the methods, personality, and processes they are using. Don't go into counseling thinking that everything the counselor tells you is right for you. You have the right to say, this isn't working. You have the right to say, this doesn't feel right. You have the right to change counselors. Now, this is the same as true for medications. You should always be forthright and honest with the doctor who prescribes it. If it isn't working, then you need to speak up. Now, something to remember. Sometimes we can't always see what is working and what is not working because it changes in emotion, change our reality. More than once, I've spoken with an individual who has felt that the medication just wasn't working very well for them, but their companions, their family, and friends state entirely the opposite. So before you jump to the conclusion that medication isn't working, you should check with a good friend or family member. Now, the cleansing and healing always comes from the Lord. There is no real power to heal in mortality certain wounds that cut so deep in our emotional lives as sexual assault and abuse. Only the Lord can provide that emotional healing and even physical healing. This is what I call the second clause of the atonement. The first clause is that we can repent and cleanse our sins. The second clause is that the same power that heals the sinner can and does heal the victim. However, obviously there is no need for repentance on the side of the victim. The victim must simply ask for that power to be applied in their lives and do their best to live righteous principles based on their ability and capacity. The Lord simply does the rest. I admit that each of us would very much like that rest that the Lord does to come quickly and to heal completely, but we find that it doesn't and that a complete healing more often comes in stages rather than all at once. I personally believe that the Lord's main point of this kind of stage of healing is that you get to spend far more time with the Lord and learn from Him. And time with the Lord is a very good thing. I believe that He heals us as we are ready to be healed. Sometimes, many times, we get in our own way when it comes to healing. We make pain a badge of honor and suffering a gold medal event. Pain and suffering have purpose and design, but we can and often do take them too far in our lives. While we are going to suffer pain, there is no need or desire on the part of the Lord to have us suffer longer than is needful. So we should allow the Lord to heal us as fast as He desires. For most of us, I believe that the healing is probably far slower than we would actually like it to be. Now, as we heal and recognize the Lord's hands in the process, lengthy or short, we should understand the power that He is exercising upon you. Without His power of the atonement to heal, the souls of many of us would be forever tortured by our experiences, and perhaps our mental illnesses would remain forever. And yet, he can take that pain and suffering and bind up the wound. That is actually one of the true miracles of this earth, and of the atonement of Christ. He can truly heal our body and mind in ways that we most certainly cannot do ourselves. The healing is also often based on our forgiveness of the perpetrator. That healing balm cannot be applied when contention, hate, and malice exist. 
The spirit that heals cannot coexist with emotions of anger and hate, malice and contention. The spirit can most certainly help us rid our souls of these emotions, but true healing cannot take place in full measure without them entirely removed. And yes, I understand how difficult that is to hear. I fully understand what I am saying. It doesn't seem just that someone can hurt us so deeply, causing serious emotional pain and often mental and emotional illness, and we are asked to fully forgive. But it is important to remember two things. The Lord is very just, and you have handed that justice to a perfect being, and that is probably better than us with our mortal failings. The Lord will most certainly take care of justice, for he has said so. The second thing is that anger, hate, malice, contention, and all the other emotions that tend to follow in the same class will destroy you emotionally and physically. Giving in to those emotions, building them up, will not cure or in a mental or emotional illness. Actually, it makes it worse. There exists no benefit whatsoever to these emotions, and so giving them to the Lord is actually the best thing you can do for your mental and emotional well-being. Now, are you going to feel these emotions? Yeah, you are. I have no doubt of it. And it is not a sin to feel these types of justice-inducing emotions. It's part of who we are and where we came from. We naturally desire to see justice because we came from a very just world. Now, these energizing emotions such as anger stem from that sense of justice. It's just a little, it's directed in an incorrect way. And so we will often feel them deeply. However, we should not feed these emotions. While they might arise on their own and stay for a time, removing them is really the path to peace and healing. Now, while the Lord has commanded that we forgive and he gives us grace and mercy, there is nothing, nothing easy about this type of experience. The Lord only asks that you keep trying and that you don't give up. If the anger arises from time to time, if you can't talk to or be around the abuser, if you are struggling with addictions and mental health episodes because of the abuse, know that the Lord fully understands you. The Lord fully understands the ramifications of what has occurred. And while you may not feel his presence, I know that he sends angels to attend to you regularly. There are those who watch over you from beyond the veil with mercy and tenderness to heal those wounds and to hold you when the tears and the angers rise to the surface. With every desire of my heart, I hope that you find the mercy and grace you deserve in this life. If you are wondering if the Lord even cares, let me assure you that he does. And tears often fall from his eyes as he sees the suffering of the innocent. His arms are open wide no matter where you are or what has occurred. And I hope with all my heart that you find peace, safety, and love as you pray to him for help. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.